The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They are sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here is your host, Jacob Jansen. Hello, I am Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Today's show is LifePoint Needle Exchange and Harm Reduction Services, uh, and, and it's going to be a good show. It's a very important one to have, and I didn't realize how important their services were going to be uh, until I ran into a scenario about two weeks ago that I had to use uh, the training that I received from LifePoint. Uh, about four months ago, uh, I went into LifePoint with Linda Lenz, uh, founder of Stop Heroin Wisconsin, and we decided to go in and get the naloxone training. Now, naloxone is the anti-overdose drug for uh, heroin or opiate overdoses. We decided to go in there to get trained so we could show people how easy it was to do this. Um, and I thought maybe I would use this once or twice in my 30 or 40 year career of being an interventionist. Uh, but just about two weeks ago, I got a call from a family. Uh, wonderful family, religious, very caring, uh, just the nicest people you'd ever meet. Um, And they wanted to talk to me about their son. They put their son through a rapid detox program, and they were looking for the next level, that that treatment, the the inpatient treatment that's really needed to take care of the underlying conditions. Now, I got to the the family um, at about five minutes to six or so, um, and at that point, the the son was not in the room, and I was talking to the parents and um, explaining how dangerous this drug is, and about 15 minutes into the conversation, I stopped, and I said, is your son the type of person that would jump out of a window and take off running away from this meeting? And they said no, and immediately my heart dropped, and I said, you better go check on him. Uh, They ran upstairs while I waited downstairs. Uh, The dad got the door open, and I heard, hey, you need to get up here. He's not breathing. He was uh, laid backwards on the floor, uh, eyes rolled back in his head, foaming at the mouth, uh, had a pulse, 
But at that time, uh, I ran, grabbed my bag with my naloxone training kit with the needles, uh, the naloxone hydrochloride, uh, ran up there and administered one cc. Now, I can tell you, even with this training and being an IV drug user, um, I was shaking. It was different to be on the other side of that and trying to save somebody's life under this pressure. Uh, Immediately told the parents to call 911, get the paramedics on the way just in case it didn't work, the naloxone or it was something else. Uh, opened up the first syringe, the tip came off, opened up the second syringe, uh, filled it with an naloxone and stuck them in the thigh muscle. And about 30 seconds later, he took a gasp of air. Uh, it was about a minute after that that, uh, that he said, I'm okay. Those were the first words out of his mouth. And we really gave him an opportunity uh, to get to treatment. Uh, and and save his life, um, and he's in treatment currently. Uh, we got him saved, and it was all really because of LifePoint uh, needle exchange and their naloxone hydrochloride program um, th- that I got to take and learn how to use, and that saved his life. And um, I'll be a forever grateful to them. So I want to get to the show and introduce them. We have uh, three people here from LifePoint. First is Veronica. She's a prevention specialist. Uh, We have Dennis, who is also a prevention specialist, and Laura, who is a prevention supervisor. Thanks, guys, for joining me on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. So what is LifePoint? Can you explain that to, to some of our listeners, what you do, the services that you provide? Sure. LifePoint is our clean needle exchange program. It operates in several locations throughout the state of Wisconsin. Um, Started in 1994, so this is our 20th year of service. Uh, We provide clean needles and other materials to injection drug users, um, including education, access to treatment, and other resources. Um, Just give them a chance to come in, talk about what they're dealing with, uh, make sure that they're um, using clean supplies each and every time they use. Um, and also offer um, testing services as well for HIV, hepatitis C, and education on how to prevent those things. I know when you know when I was in active addiction, um, I certainly used your services quite a bit. I remember going and picking up 500 needles at a time, the tins, the uh, the alcohol pads, the ties, the cookers, um, and it really helped reduce the harm that was in my life. And, and there's this term, concept, harm reduction. What does harm reduction really mean? It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, basically, we use it as a strategy just to reduce harm for individuals. So instead of um, going from one extreme to another, like using to total abstinence, we take small steps with individuals in order to reduce the harm that they might have from injecting. So that might mean using a clean needle every time, um, just talking about education around reducing risk for HIV or hepatitis C, getting tested. Yeah, it's just like a non-judgmental approach to um, helping people who are using drugs as well. And, you know, the, the cool thing about harm reduction is that the, it, it encompasses everything from one entire end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. You know, the, the non-judgmentalness of it, you know, gives us the ability to meet folks where they're at, whether it's a matter of somebody who's in a very heavy level and, and rotation of injection drug use, which is a lot of risk factors for their health, um, versus somebody who's maybe coming out of the tail end of heavy use and looking for treatment or recovery. Um, It's just, we were able to equip and help people get to where they want to get to, regardless of what that is and where it is. We're not there to to judge the drug use. We're there to help the drug user to keep us safe, healthy, and alive through 
risky business. You know, and, and I can certainly relate to that and say that, uh, you know, I have no communicable diseases and I am still alive, you know, probably uh, a big part and because I was very safe, got that education around my usage, uh, you know, and, and how to switch veins and, and be safe and never repeat new needle use. Um, a lot of people really don't understand why exactly this this is helping the community and and they have this idea that if somebody's going and exchanging needles it's really just contributing to drug use how does lifepoint benefit the community there are actually a lot of ways in which it benefits the community um there have been studies around needle exchange and it shows that it doesn't enable anyone to use drugs um drug use is happening whether or not our program is here um, so what we try to do, like we said, is just reduce harm to those individuals. Um, another thing we do is we encourage people to bring their dirty syringes back in so we can dispose of them properly. Um, it just helps to keep the communities clean that we're serving. Um, we help reduce rates of HIV and hepatitis C. Um, needle exchange has done a great job of reducing rates of HIV among injection drug users. So we've seen a real decrease in that. Um, and then also, like you talked about, equipping people with naloxone so they can prevent overdose. Sure, and, and I'm going to talk about naloxone a little bit later in the show um, and, and what that service is and who really should be trained and equipped to do this. So if somebody wanted to uh, access LifePoint, how would they go about doing that? Like if somebody, I know we're kind of southeastern Wisconsin right now, but say there's a user out there that might not be using uh, as safely as possible, how does that person get a hold of, of LifePoint? They actually have a lot of different options. We have um, one office location in Milwaukee on 37th in Wisconsin that people can come in anytime Monday through Thursday when we're open and get clean supplies. Uh, we also have vans that go out into the community to try to reach people who don't have access to our services or maybe don't have transportation. Um, they can meet those sites um, Monday through Thursday, and then on Fridays they can give us a call and we'll meet them anywhere in Milwaukee County. We also have um, a van that goes to Waukesha every Monday and covers that whole county. And then we do Washington County once a month as well. Sure. And I certainly remember uh, using those services. And, you know, if those services weren't available, uh, that wasn't going to stop me from using. I would have been using dirty needles until I really got the help and the treatment uh, that I needed going through the detox and uh, the, the rehabilitation after that. Uh, yeah, so, you know, LifePoint was, was a big help, uh, not only through my active addiction, but also uh, in my recovery now through this naloxone training. Uh, now, I want to talk just a little bit about the Good Samaritan bill that's out there. Can you please explain to our audience what the 911 Good Samaritan bill is? Sure. Um, that bill was passed in April. It was part of the HOPE bills that um, Representative Nigren was a part of. And basically what it is, is um, now when somebody calls for someone who has overdosed on an illegal substance, they will not be charged with, they have limited immunity from charges. Um, it's possession of paraphernalia, I think, that they have immunity from. So basically when, if police arrive at the scene and the person has a cooker on them or a tie or a, a piece of cotton or something, and, um, you know, a small amount of heroin, or any opiate that they have, or any drug that they have illicitly, um, they will not get those charges. So the idea is that instead of when somebody falls out, everyone being concerned about the police coming and them getting charged and getting a ticket, they won't have to worry about that anymore. They can call 911 and the, person will, the person's life will be saved. So 
Um, it has helped a lot of people feel more comfortable calling. You still can get charged with any other crime you're committing at the scene, um, but those two charges you won't be. Do you know if that bill is actually in place right now? Is that act of law in it Wisconsin? Is. It's, um, it's act of law now. It was signed into law. Um, Walker signed it into law, I think, April 9th. Okay, and I've met Representative Nigren before, and uh, you know, I, I know his daughter's going through some struggles, and I, I wish the best of luck to her and through all of her struggles. Um, and he's doing some good things. Um, I, I know that... Uh, when people overdose, there's that very scary thought of, are you going to get arrested? And, and certainly uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of put into that same position when, uh, when you call paramedics and you call emergency personnel, uh, if they know that it's a heroin overdose, they have a responsibility to call the police. Um, you know, it really becomes a moral decision uh, for the parents or the people who find that individual of whether or not they're going to hide those substances so the person does get arrested. Uh, but it's, it's been my experience that um, getting arrested usually does not help the individual. It's the treatment uh, that's in place uh, that, that really does help them. So uh, who is really at risk for opiate overdose? You know, I, I see this client. Um, that was a question that I know you wanted me to ask. What, who is at risk of opiate overdose? So um, that runs the gamut from somebody who's been using heroin for 20 years and feels like they're not even experiencing any high anymore and they just do more and more all day and this this one time they did too much, that person can fall out. Also, um, you know, anyone who just gets a prescription for Percocet or Oxycontin and takes too much, didn't understand, maybe they didn't understand the directions for taking it or maybe they were just, their tolerance was so low. I mean, it can happen to anybody even just taking pills legally. So that's... It can run the gamut that way, but um, some indicators for somebody who uses would be, you know, if you're changing dealers, purity level. Purity level on the street can move from, I think, like 5% to like 60%, depending on where you're going. Um, clean system, so getting out of jail, getting out of rehab, any other reason for clean time. Um, mixing with other downers, like alcohol, um, benzos, other drugs like that. Um, and... Using alone. Oh, using alone, yeah. Using alone. <laughs> so being by yourself because if you're by yourself and you fall out, no one can help you. Um, that's a real issue with overdosing. Sure, and and you and we're going to talk about naloxone when we come back from break. Uh, but naloxone is really one of those things that is so safe to use and really doesn't have a lot of uh, negatives uh, if you if it was used uh, wrongly if the person wasn't going through opiate overdose. So we have to take a quick commercial break, uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Veronica, Dennis, and Laura from LifePoint. Now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. 
Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Today's show is LifePoint Needle Exchange and Harm Reduction Services. Uh, and we're joined in the studio today by Veronica and Dennis, who are prevention specialists, and Laura, who is a prevention supervisor. Guys, thanks again for being here. Before we left uh, for the commercial break, we were talking a little bit about the 911 Good Samaritan Bill. Why do you think that was put in place? Uh, <clears throat> one of the big reasons they put that in place, uh, I, I call it the saddest statistic when it comes to overdose, overdose deaths, and that's that 85% of people who have died from an opiate overdose, somebody has been there in the room with them. They're witnessed, someone's there, someone can do something, and they don't because they're, they're, there's a lot of fears surrounding the, uh, you know, I think they, they think things are going to work out and be okay for starters. And then there's always the fear and the confusion about the cops are going to come, uh, whether they're afraid of getting arrested themselves. They're afraid that their friend's going to get arrested who's overdosing. Um, the, the, the legal consequences of an overdose um, really uh, created a large barrier. And that was, uh, I think, the, the, the big feel between... Uh, Mr. Nigren's uh, efforts to get this going to uh, to remove those legal worries and worries about jail cells and cops and everything and get people to pick up the phone 
and get the professionals on the way because it is a life and death situation. Sure, you know, and uh, I'm really glad that law has been passed, you know, and, and there there's this other law, and I don't know if you know a whole lot about it, the Len Bias Law. Um, you know, when when people uh, have friends who sometimes sell to them if that friend overdoses and they die, now two people, one dies, one goes to jail for that overdose. Do you think that law is going to be changed anytime soon, or do you think we're going to be, see movement in that direction? I hope so, uh, personally, but so far, nothing, this, the 911 Good Samaritan law does not change that at all. So, um, I think with that law, it either has to be that you, you actually personally shot the person up and also, or you actually gave them that supply of opiate. Okay. Um, but specifically with this law, you only have immunity from possession and paraphernalia. So if they can still prove that you supplied it or injected it, you're still going to get that lend bias manslaughter. Sure. So you know, how can opiate overdose be prevented? We're talking about such a serious thing. You know, uh, How can it be prevented? Um, two of the most important ways is don't use by yourself and always have naloxone. Um, I often talk to people who they don't want to get trained for naloxone because they use by themselves. There's no one in their life that they feel like they can tell that this is happening. Um, and I always try to get them to really look around, analyze the people in their life. Is there somebody you can tell this to who can check on you? Anybody. I mean, at the bare minimum, who can maybe give you a phone call or something. Um, another good thing to do would be uh, looking around at who you use with. Do you trust them? How do they feel about law enforcement and calling 911 if you were to fall out? How do they feel about naloxone? Do they have it? Do they know how to use it? These are all really important conversations to have with anybody that you're going to be using with um, or anybody who feels like they have no one in their life who they can tell this to because that's almost never true. Sure. You know, and uh, when I was going through active addiction, I know that my parents uh, would constantly check on me to make sure that I was breathing when I was around. And I'm sure that if they would have been trained in naloxone, they probably would have felt a lot more comfortable, even though, you know, through my four and a half years of IV heroin use, uh, I never overdosed. And I was very, very fortunate. Um, and I saw a lot of my friends overdose and some of them die too. So, you know, I want to talk about uh, this very important drug, naloxone hydrochloride. And, and it's certainly the substance that helped save this young man's life two weeks ago uh, with me. So what is naloxone hydrochloride? Excuse me. Naloxone is the uh, it's a generic version of Narcan. Narcan is a brand name. Naloxone is a generic name. Uh, naloxone is an opiate antagonist. It's a short-acting opiate reversal. It, uh, it, when administered, what it does is it goes to the brain, enters the receptors that are overdosed with opiates, pushes the opiate out, enters those receptors, sets up a defense wall, keeps the opiates out, and it restores brain activity so the person can regain consciousness and breathe on their own again. It doesn't, uh, some of the myths about it, you know, that people get really confused is just because somebody gets a shot in naloxone, naloxone's not an evaporator. It doesn't make the opiates disappear out of the body. It, uh, it the, the opiates are still in the bloodstream. They're just not penetrating the portions of the brain that were getting flooded, over flooded and shutting it down. Uh, the liver still has to do its job, detox the opiate out of the system, 
At the same time, it's also detoxing the naloxone out of the system as soon as it's administered. So it only lasts for about 45 or 50 minutes. That's why calling 911 is so essential. Uh, just because somebody came out of an overdose from being revived with naloxone doesn't guarantee they're going to stay revived. If there's enough opiate in the system, the, uh, the overdose can come back when the naloxone is, is detoxed out. Um, and there's no way of ever knowing what the individual um, took maybe before even showing up. If we're all using together, you know, I'm assuming uh, just because I saw us all do heroin together, that that's all we're doing. But maybe I did. Maybe I popped some oxys before I walked in. You didn't know it. Or maybe I took somebody's methadone dose. Everything has different half-lives, like especially mm-hmm. methadone. So uh, the naloxone is awesome because it gives you that first responder opportunity to, to save and revive life. But it's still critical um, because it, it, it's short-acting. You know, it's, uh, it, it's not a, it, as miraculous as it is. It's, it's not the solution to saving the life. You know, it's the, it's the step forward in saving the life. It's important to get the 911 there and the professionals there and uh, get them in the hands. Just be in the hands of people who, medical professionals, just in case something else is going on. Sure. So are there any dangers of, of administering this naloxone hydrochloride to somebody who may not be going through an opiate withdrawal? No, absolutely none at all. Um, we could all shoot each other with naloxone right here, right now. <laughs> and we do absolutely nothing. Um, you know, and that's kind of the, the nice thing about it, too. There's no risk added to administering it to somebody. So even if you're not sure, if you got somebody who's non-responsive and you hit, and that's another reason to call 911 because just because you hit them with naloxone doesn't mean they're going to come up. You know, it could just, be a heart attack or something. It could be something else going it, yeah. on, exactly. Um, but basically, it uh, there's no risk of dependence. It creates no euphoric feeling or anything. The only thing naloxone does is goes to the brain. It, it's like a little bear, little platoon of stormtroopers that goes to the brain, kicks the opiate out, and saves the day. I mean, it's sure. awesome. Yeah, it, it was truly amazing to see it work. Um, you know, I watched this video, uh, you know, and I saw it work in the video, and they say within one to two minutes it'll work, and really within about 30 seconds of injecting the substance into this person, uh, he took a, a deep breath of air, uh, and within about a minute and a half, he was responsive and talking again. It was amazing to see uh, some of those signs and symptoms of withdrawal fall away as he kind of came out of that opiate stupor. Uh, so, what are some of the signs and symptoms of withdrawal? Like if somebody were going into withdrawal and could potentially need naloxone hydrochloride, what would you want to look for? For opiate withdrawal. So if somebody is unconscious, they're, they're uh, on the floor, what are some good signs that this oh, is a good time for an overdose? Yeah. This is a good um, time to administer the drug for an um, overdose. Maybe- the, the first thing you want to look for and determine is, are they responsive? You look first uh, for the non-responsiveness. There's a fine line between being in an OD versus being really high. Um, somebody who's really high on opiates, can be, they can be stimulated to, to a level of responsiveness, whether they're just kind of cracking their eyes open, giving you the look like, leave me alone. They might you know, be able to audibly say, yeah, I'm okay. But if, uh, if they're not responding to you, uh, our, our training protocol, uh, we use what we call the knuckle rub across the chest bone. You make a fist using your, your outer knuckles to rub on the chest bone hard. Say their name really loud. If they're not cracking an eye open and making some sort of physical response to that or an audible response, um, it's an OD. They're out. They're non-responsive. 
Um, the other thing you want to you can look for as well is uh, the lips will be starting to turn blue. The fingernail areas will be turning color from lack of oxygen in the body. And one of the other big things too is uh, impaired breathing. They may not the uh, overdose isn't punctuated by not breathing, but complicated breathing is the first stages of respiratory failure. And a lot of people report that they thought their friend was okay because they were snoring really loud. Snoring, yeah. And that's loud snoring with the non-responsiveness. That's uh, that that's the complicated respiratory uh, functions that are starting to kick in. So loud snoring, intermittent breathing, shallow breathing, heavy breathing, gurgly breathing, labor breathing, those are all first uh, sign indicators of somebody that's going into uh, a potential fatal overdose situation. Sure. So, and, and we just talked a, a bit about naloxone and how it helps people if they overdose. What are some of the things that you train people uh, for at LifePoint to be safer so they don't overdose? What are the, some of the, the things that you do? Some of the things we do to educate our clients is um, what we talked about earlier is some of those risk factors for overdose, like clean time. Um, so if someone is has been in jail or has been in rehab, just educating them about starting slow um, so that they their tolerance has dropped and so that they don't start at the same point and, and end in an overdose. So, so who would be a good person to get trained for naloxone? Anybody, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> you know, and Everybody. You know, we... A lot of the folks that we do train um, are active injection drug users, um, but naloxone isn't just for the active opiate user. Um, anybody who loves or cares about an opiate user in their life, we uh, so aside of just obviously the users that we see, um, family members, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, uh, friends. Any anybody involved, uh, you know, even if you're listening right now and you're not an opiate user, but um, you got somebody in your life, whether you know, you maybe you know for sure they're using opiates, or maybe you've been suspicious that even something just hasn't been quite right lately. Maybe they fall, they, they nod on and off a lot when you're trying to have a conversation with them. Um, just uh, those are the people that you should be. Uh, concerned about, you know, and you should be the one getting trained then and being equipped with naloxone because if you, if you have an opiate user in your life, um, there's always that risk of an overdose. Just yeah. And, and, and I have to, um, I'm setting up some school presentations in the school system around here and uh, LifePoint has agreed to come in and even more importantly, the school systems have agreed to set aside a classroom to train parents free of charge to take this substance and um, I really got to commend them at taking that step to to uh, get this in front of parents who might be faced with the situation. Um, so where can somebody get trained for naloxone and, and what does that process really entail? How long does it take? Um, there's a, a variety of ways that they can get trained. Um, we've got a Facebook page also. You know, you find LifePoint on Facebook. Uh, what? It's LifePoint Needle Exchange. It should come right up when you do LifePoint Needle yep. Exchange. And, uh, or you can call. You can call our Milwaukee office at uh, 414 225 one six zero eight um and just dial zero for the operator and anybody who picks up the phone you can it, all you gotta say is hey i want to get trained for naloxone they can come to our prevention center um and, and it's not just in milwaukee we have offices in nine locations around the state of wisconsin uh kenosha 
Milwaukee, Green Bay, Madison, Appleton, La Crosse, Eclair, Wausau, and Superior. Yay. <laughs> um, any of our offices are, are equipped to train anybody. So no matter where you live in the state of Wisconsin, there's a LifePoint service um, within a, you know, a phone call away. Where, and if you can't make it to the office, we have mobile van services. Uh, you know, like especially for southeast Wisconsin and Madison, our vans cover a lot of territory. Um, Jimmy, our guy out in Madison, he covers you know, that greater Madison area up to the Dells, down to Janesville and beyond. Um, I have, I'm the one who's usually in the Waukesha van on Mondays. We'll, we'll come and meet you anywhere. I've trained a lot of parents right in the driveway of their homes. Um, all you have to do is call and express your need, and we'll work out a way to get. If you can't get to us, we'll come to you to make it happen. You know, and and I can certainly attest to that that they are absolutely wonderful. Not only helping out addicts who who need to get clean uh, clean paraphernalia, but also uh, individuals who want to be trained in naloxone so they can help save their lives. So, you know, as heroin use skyrocketed in Wisconsin across the country. What kind of growth have you seen in the services provided by LifePoint over the last 10 years? And is this really typical across the country? We've seen a really big increase in um, use of our services, even just over the past few years. Um, you know, we see exchangers who come into our office each day, and that's gone from maybe 10, 20 people a day to upwards of 100 people each day. Um, and each month we see maybe 50 to 70 new clients who come in our doors and access our services for the first time. Um, and that's due to, you know, an increase in heroin use and just, I think, word of mouth about our services and what we provide um, to people who are using. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and like Laura said earlier, you know, this started in uh, out of Milwaukee in 1994. Um, there was, uh, we refer to him as Milwaukee's first street outreach worker. His name was Dennis Hill. Um, he was a recovering uh, injection drug user and Dennis was was just a, a, a great son to our community he 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 was one of those individuals who could, did contract uh, HIV through his injection drug use and it was his personal mission to spread harm reduction to injection drug users in his community so they could remove and eliminate the risks and in the and the, the, the the items that put him at risk of contracting HIV and that was really kind of what got it all started. Our our boss, who's uh, considered the harm reduction guru of Wisconsin, Scott Stokes, um, really you know helped pioneer as an advocate for our users in the community, along with uh, Mr. Hill. Um, and we we got and that's how this thing really kind of got started. And it was initially uh, you know LifePoint. Our LifePoint services were van operated at uh, community locations in in. What we would call high-risk areas, and uh, it's 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 really evolved and turned into the the van services are still a big part, but our walk-in services have are, are you know I worked here in the past for a while and I came back recently and I was surprised you know the the, the big change that I noticed was the degree of people who actually come to the prevention center now to do walk-in exchanges. That's a real big change in the face of harm reduction and syringe exchange. Um, and I and I think it's uh, more of a testimony to our users their their education on harm reduction and their willingness to take care of their health mm -hmm. through these risky times that um, you know they 
they know they got to, and, and we're glad that we have the opportunity to provide a place that they feel safe coming, uh, because we, you know, it, we, we talked about the syringe exchange components to it, um, but we also, there, there's so many other things that we offer, you know, in the, in the wake of all of that, you know, from, from the harm reduction component to even treatment and recovery information referrals and, and, and helping them get to where they want to get to when they're ready to stop or if they choose to stop. You know, and, and uh, t- in talking about your services here, the vans are all anonymous that people can call up. I had the pleasure of eating uh, lunch with Dennis a few days ago, and uh, during lunch he had a number of phone calls come in for people who needed services exchanged. Um, everything was very polite, anonymous, uh, very courteous, and very prompt uh, to help them get the services they need. Um, so. And also, when I went down to Life Point in in person, uh, you know, I was waiting in the waiting room. I was certainly surprised by the number of people walking in to exchange needles at that time. Uh, but in a country that is very reactive to this addiction problem, um, it is nice to see Life Point being so proactive in stopping this problem, reducing the costs associated with health care um, and some of the communicable diseases. So we got to take a commercial break, uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk more with Veronica, Dennis, and Laura from Life Point. Here's a quick commercial break from our sponsors. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send us an email at Jacob Jansen at I Took the High Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Today's show is Life Point Needle Exchange and Harm Reduction, and I am joined here by Veronica and Dennis, prevention specialists, and Laura, a prevention supervisor. Uh, before the break, we were really talking about uh, naloxone and who should be trained for, for this, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit more. Uh, Dennis, while we were at the break, uh, we were talking a little bit more about who should be trained for naloxone. Right. You know, and we talked a lot about, you know, anybody who uses opiates getting trained. We talked about their loved ones and family members and friends getting trained. Um, another one of the big things that we, places where we do a lot of trainings and reach out to are community-based organizations. Any business or play that's got their doors open, that especially is going to have anyone with the risk of using an opiate coming through the door, um, which covers, you know, Day treatment centers, you know, uh, outpatient treatment centers, pain management clinics, uh, free free clinics where free health services are provided. Um, you know, if if you're a member who works at one of those places, you know, and, and have thought that before, or just thinking right now, wow, give us a call. We'll come and train your staff. We'll equip you. We'll help you set up a pro- uh, overdose uh, response protocol. And even more and more, we're beginning to see our communities where our police officers are becoming. Uh, getting equipped and becoming first responders as well. So, you know, if, if you have an idea of who should be trained or equipped, you know, we, we don't want to exclude anybody. Always feel free to call us and uh, ask your questions. You know, somebody on, on staff is always going to be happy to have a discussion with you about harm reduction, naloxone, who can get trained, how they can do it, and what we can do to work together with the community. Because I think ultimately, you know, harm reduction is only one pillar of the salute we're not the solution to this problem today you know and that that's not our message but our message is we are part of we, we're a very integral pillar to part of the solution working with the other pillars of our community like prevention law enforcement treatment and even workplace pillars we we need to stand united together not against each other to keep moving forward to save the the members of our community that we all care about yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like getting trained for CPR. You never think you're going to use it, uh, but you might have to someday, and it could really benefit anybody in any situation. This drug problem is uh, so rampant right now, you don't even have to know a drug user to potentially run into one that might be in an overdose situation somewhere you're at. Um, I know two weeks ago when I had to use this, uh, the naloxone, uh, I was talking with the officer there, and they were just saying how uh, their whole police force was trained the week before and would soon have the nasal injection naloxone hydrochloride in all of their squad cars. Now, you know, I encourage any police officers that are out there that 
maybe don't have this yet in their squads to go out there and do the free training by yourself. It costs you nothing. Um, it's really quick. Uh, now, we talked about how if somebody were to use this and stick it into like my leg right now, how there would be really no um, adverse effects from it. But what about liability issues? If somebody stuck it into their leg, if something happened during an overdose, is anybody held liable? So um, another one of the laws that was passed with the, the HOPE bills was Act 200. And that is um, that says that you are not liable for anything that happens if you, in good faith, believe that the person was suffering from an overdose and administered naloxone, you're not liable. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I have no medical training, I've never even given someone an allergy injection or anything, that's totally fine. You can still use naloxone when you, in good faith, believe somebody's overdosing and you won't be held liable. And, you know, when, when I had to use this, I was an IV needle user, you know, for four and a half years, so I was very comfortable around needles, uh, but my hands were shaking when I did it. Uh, and if I would have had to hit a vein or do something very technical, I don't know if I could have done it, but just to be able to stick it into a leg muscle and push the plunger down and save his life uh, was so easy, but under that pressure and stress of uh, this person possibly dying, um, it was definitely a nerve-wracking situation. So, you know, there are a lot of opponents out there of LifePoint, people that say, you know, that this isn't helping, that it's enabling people to go out and use these drugs and continue to, to use these drugs. What do you have to say to this and, and why is that really wrong? I think where a lot of people, you know, a lot of it just <laughs> has to do with misinformation and not being educated about the benefits of LifePoint, not just to the folks that are using it, but to the community abroad. Um, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, what LifePoint provides as far as clean injection gear, you know, and it, obviously if I'm sharing a syringe with another person, uh, that's direct blood to blood exposure and contact and my risk level for contracting and spreading HIV is super high along with hepatitis C. Hepatitis C is also going through the roof nowadays in our communities amongst these young injection drug users out there. And it's not just the syringes that carry the, the risk transmission for hepatitis C especially. Hepatitis C can live 30 to 60 days outside of the body in a cooker, a water supply, a cotton, a tourniquet, all of those other community injection gear items that are typical to, to uh, using, those are all hepatitis C risk factors. And that's why we provide the harm reduction information, education, and equipment to the active users so that they can be empowered to take control of their life and their health. Um, and this is where a lot of opponents, you know, they look at that stuff and they call them heroin kits. And it, it, it makes me mad that the community, you know, puts that, that tagline on the safe injection gear that we're doing because really what we're doing is offering a public health service. We're keeping the users safe and we're keeping their sex partners safe, their other family, you know, it, it, it keeps folding into the community, even beyond the people that they love and care about. Um, it, it's beneficial for sanitation workers at waste management, at the water treatment plant, keeping those used and dirty syringes out of environments like that. It's even safer for law enforcement when they're doing pat-downs, you know, and it reduces and eliminates, you know, an uncapped dirty syringe maybe being somewhere amongst someone they might be arresting. So there, there's a lot of benefits that, you know, continue to trickle into the community in such a variety of ways. You know, and one of the other big things that opponents, you know, come at us with sometimes, you know, they're like, 
oh, you're giving them that naloxone and it's just making a safety net. You know, they're going to push it to the limit, you know, because they know they're going to be saved. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. It's a, what, what a lot, especially if I'm a street heroin user, you know, I'm, I probably don't have an abundant amount of resources. The money I'm spending on, you know, what could very well possibly be a management dose to avoid the withdrawal and the sickness that's associated with opiate use. The last thing I want is somebody taking my high away with naloxone. I'm not trying to have a withdrawal effect that happens once the naloxone's administered. You know, and the there's I recently did a presentation in our community where one of the participants of the presentation looked right at me and said, You gotta stop handing that naloxone out. He's like, You're just enabling. And we, we started getting into this conversation. And this person's actual response was, maybe if more of them were allowed to die, it would be a wake-up call for their friends. We're here to tell you they're dying already. We don't need more of them to die for a wake-up call. Mm. You know, that we're trying to keep them alive so they can get into treatment, so they can get to recovery. And, he, and not that treatment recovery is, our, you know, our, our hidden agenda or goal, you know, we... You know, but like for you, Jacob, you know, you're you're grateful today to, to be where you're at. Um, Absolutely. Because of life, you know, because of good public health services. Uh -huh. And even if they never enter treatment or recovery, if they can live a life that's not complicated by HIV or hepatitis C, and they can take care of their health, not just for them, but for their family members and their loved ones, you know, that's a win. It's a win, not just for them. It's a win for our community. Um, I'm sick of seeing... Uh, you know, the, I, I'm sick of hearing, you know, and, and when the community refers to them as junkies and dirt bags and dirt balls and whatever it is you want to call them, you know, that, I, I, that's got to stop too. Yeah. Because, you know, this is somebody's son, brother, sister, daughter, somebody's mom, somebody's dad. Um, it's more than just a dead body. You know, there's, we all have people that we love in our life. You know, and it, we all choose to do something that's risky through the course of every single day. Whether it's the way we drive, whether it's the diet that we choose, you know, there, there's a level of risk involved with everybody's personal lifestyle, you know, and I, the stigmas and the judgment that comes, especially with drug use, um, is where we really get into some discussions. You know, and, and this guy, you know, that I saved two weeks ago was probably one of the nicest, most polite guys that I ever met. And going into this meeting, I was talking to the parents before this happened, and they were saying that he didn't want treatment, was kind of resistant to it. He ended up coming out of that overdose, and as we talked, he started to recognize how big of an issue this was and that he really needed treatment and help and made his mind up right after that overdose to get help and treatment. Um, if he was dead... There's no way he could have been in treatment right now. Uh, so, you know, this idea that <laughs> naloxone is enabling people to continue more, no, it's it's really saving lives and giving them that opportunity to maybe change, find that better, happier, healthy life. Uh, I know this is a tough field to be in. You know, I run into to things like uh, these overdoses, you know, didn't expect to so soon. But what do you do? Why, why do you do what you do day to day? What really keeps each one of you going um, in this uphill battle, it seems like, constantly? I think like Dennis was saying earlier, there's a lot of stigma associated with injection drug use. And this is a, a population that doesn't get a lot of support in our community. So we offer a place where they can come, um, where they're going to be treated without judgment, with respect, 
and they can get the help that they need to be safer in their using. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, even if it's a small change toward being healthy, I think that's a huge win for all of us. And, and that's kind of, it's those small things that kind of keep me going um, day to day. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And also, I just feel like for my own sanity, the amount of misinformation that is being fed to people who use can be incredibly frustrating. And at the end of the day, just bare bones, what keeps me sane is the fact that I'm helping to clarify that misinformation for people who need that actual education. You know, and and I, I can relate to that, that, you know, not only are there these services where people can get these items, but they're trained and taught how to use these items the right way, how to switch veins so you don't collapse, how to make sure you're not uh, sharing those transmittable diseases. Uh, Dennis, what keeps you going day to day? Uh, for me, it's uh, I. I've lost people personally in my life, you know, I, which motivates me every day. Um, I I see I see the users of our community, drug users of our community, as you know, our, their loved ones. They're they're important to me. Um, I want to see them have a healthy life, and uh, the um, it's it. it it's just um, it's kind of a personal thing, and it and I like also being in an opportunity. I'm, I'm grateful to have an opportunity. I think one of the things that we do and that we're all really passionate about as well is we get to be an advocate and a voice a lot of times um, for injection drug users in the community. They they don't get a very good voice or a very good rep- representation sometimes, and we have that opportunity to. I, I like being able to advocate for them and and help them stay safe and healthy through risky business. Sure. What, what are your um, dreams for LifePoint? Where do you see this going in the future? Where, what do you see happening as, as LifePoint gets more and more clients? I mean, where do you see LifePoint going? No more overdose deaths. Okay. Yeah, well said. Ditto. <laughs> sure. And, well, and how do we make that happen? Equip everybody with naloxone, make sure people understand the risks, their risk levels, their personal risk levels, and how to uh, minimize those. I'd like to see more people get tested for hepatitis C, too. You know, we don't, like, we're, you know, one of the big services we offer for especially injection drug users is free HIV and hepatitis C testing. If you've ever used uh, a needle in your life, especially if you think you've had the risk of sharing some of that gear with somebody, please come in and get tested. Knowledge is king. Knowing your health status is uh, just as important as knowing your zip code. How much does that test cost, Dennis? Nothing. Zero. For the great thing about all of our services, zero. They cost nothing but your time, a little bit of your time. Sure. And again, if people want to contact you to get a hold of these services, what's the best way to do that? They can come to our office at 3716 West Wisconsin, uh, 53208 in Milwaukee. Um, they can call us at the number that Dennis said earlier, which was 414-225-1608. Dial zero for the operator. will come to any one of us there in the office. And they can go on our Facebook page, which, once again, is LifePoint um, Life Needle Exchange. You search it on Facebook. It should come right up. Also, our hours are listed on Google, too. Awesome. You can also check. The, you know, we, um, our, main, our main agency is the AIDS Resource Center of Wisconsin. So you can always go to ARCW.org. And you'll find more information about our prevention services as well as all of the great services that ARCW offers. And you'll, get, you'll be able to find a directory and a locator for an office uh, in our services around the state if you're not here in the southeast region. 
So do you guys have any quick message, final message for our listeners? We've got a couple minutes left. Man, you know, if, if you're an active user, um, you know, just uh, the vans are safe. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're, they're unmarked. To come to the they're van unmarked. They're unmarked. Yeah. services. Yeah, I, keep, I hear that from people who come to the office. You know, and I, I think one of the, you know, even though we've really made a lot of advancements, there, there's still fears for the users that the cops are watching us. They're going to get arrested. You know, more and more day by, you know, and this whole harm reduction movement, it, it doesn't, we're not all changing on one on the same day. You know, it's not a single event. Day by day, though, little bridges keep getting built between us and the other pillars of the community. Um, we're gaining stronger support throughout the community from from non-users. Um, you know, we're we're an advocate. We're a resource. We're there for you. That's why we're in business. You know, that's why our doors are open. We want to help you stay healthy and alive. You know, please don't be afraid. The, whether the, the office, the van, pick up the phone. Reach out and ask for any help for any of the questions you might have. Well, Veronica, Dennis, and Laura, thank you for joining me today for the show. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Uh, So, you know, that's our show for today. Please join us next week uh, for more of I Took the High Road with myself, Jacob Jansen. You have a great week and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.